Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot. Scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. Okay, so uh, Dominic uh, Gennard, thanks so much for uh, returning to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Um, last time we were talking about your book and about everything, but as well as being the CTO of everything, you are the co-chair of the GS1 Digital Link uh, Standard uh, Working Group. Um, and... Uh, uh, I guess the standard's been out for what? How long? Since last year, is it? Since uh, August 2018. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I appreciate your uh, suggesting we talk about it, and I think it's a great idea. Um, it's not specific to Bluetooth beacon technology, but it definitely has a, a, a relevance. Tell us why people should care about this uh, GS1 Digital Link standard. Um, so I'll, I'll start to tell you why they should care overall, and then maybe why I think it's relevant also to the Bluetooth world, right? Yeah. So starting with overall, what's what is it trying to was it trying to do? It's it's basically trying to put an end to uh, proprietary um, encodings to put uh, web addresses or all kinds of identifiers on products. So it's, a, it's an attempt to standardize the way you describe a product on the web and the way you describe a product um, on the tags so that consumers can directly interact with these products through, uh, through a standard that gives each product a unique identity. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting because, in, uh, for instance, in the marketing world, each new campaign on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a set of products um, requires basically a new tag, right? And you have a proliferation of different tags. You have one for a marketing campaign, you might have one for compliance reasons, and you might have one for supply chain, reading, reading the, the product in supply chain. That means much more real estate on the product. It means also a lot of confusion as in what, which tag should you um, use in which context. Um, so there was a, a thinking that actually we could all um, you, we could merge them all into a web address that would be unique to uh, to the product, and this is what the digital link standard is about. 
Now, in the in the beacon space, it's also quite relevant because beacons can advertise URLs, and um, these URLs can be related to products. And there is no standard way of relating a URL to a product. Once there is this standard way, and this is what the Just One Digital Link basically offers, then it opens a whole range of possibilities, especially in terms of um, you know use cases across different domains, across. Uh, across supply chain, uh, consumer engagement, et cetera, et cetera. Very good. Yeah, you gave uh, an example of all these different applications that could be unified with a single tag rather than having one breach, and, and one of them was compliance. Can you explain what you mean by compliance in this context? So there, there are a number of, uh, of new laws and new regulations being in the U.S. or in Europe um, also in China, around, uh, for instance, around CPG products. So, I mean, um, to give you an example, in in, uh, in pharma, for instance, um, there is a big trend uh, and certain regulations um, in Europe whereby all the packs of of, um, of drugs need to be serialized. So that's one example that will require a particular tag. Um, to give you another example, in the CPG world, there is much more pressure lately in the US, but also in Europe, to have um, very clear nutritional facts. Nutritional facts that are also accessible on the web in the digital world, as most people now check their products in the digital world. And that also requires uh, a, a, special kind of, a special kind of tag. Um, right now, there's a, there's a, um, a standard uh, by GMA called Smart Label, which explains how you should um, basically represent the nutritional facts of a, of, um, of a CPG product on the web. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing that tells you what the tag should be like, right? So you end up having different tags for each of these uh, different compliance stories. And then you have more tags for supply chain and even more tags when you want to do uh, things like uh, consumer engagement and marketing campaigns. So um, tell us a bit about the nuts and bolts of what this URL is that is describing a, a, a product. Is it, uh, is the actual, is all of the information encoded in an extremely long URL or what, how does it work? Well, so how we started is basically we looked at um, what's out there in terms of identifying products. And the most well-known way of identifying a product is this one. Uh, that's the 1D barcode, right? Mm -hmm. It takes different forms uh, in Europe and in the US, but it's essentially what we call a JITIN, right? A, a, a global identification number for a product. This um, has a number of limitations. First of all, it identifies the class of product. So it, it identifies you know, this type of, 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 um, of product, but not the one I have in my hands, right? The second problem is that um, it's, it's a code that machines in the supply chain understand, but we as consumers cannot do anything with that code, right? Our phones don't understand that code. That code is not queryable on the web. Um, so we can't really start an interaction with it. And then for those that are listening to this podcast as opposed to watching, so you just basically took a label from a, a Coca-Cola bottle. It's got a 1D barcode and it's got a bunch of numbers on. So which mean absolutely nothing. That, that barcode, how does that relate to GS1? I'm going to take us off a bit of a tangent, but uh, this is a GS1 standard. I was in Australia. I saw a big building with GS1 on it. I hear about this thing, but who, who are 
GS1 and how does the digital link standard fit with all the other things that GS1 does? So um, GS1 is basically a set of member organizations. They have a member organization uh, in, in many, many countries. I think it's the, 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 the international organizations with the most uh, countries represented in the world, actually even more than the UN or other big organizations. And it's the organization of commerce, the organization of global commerce, right? It's these different countries came together to set standards of, on how to do global commerce, right? How to identify products, how to, you know, have standardized ways of uh, expressing the data and, and the identifiers. And so essentially what GS1 delivers at its core is are, are these numbers, right? These numbers for the products. They manage the company part of these numbers as well as the product part of these numbers and they, they issue these numbers. So if you're a brand and you create a new product, you purchase um, a set of numbers from a, a member organization where you're operating. So you would, for instance, buy it in the US. Right now I'm in Switzerland, I would buy it in, in Switzerland. But um, so far, GS1 is, is actually massive, right? I, I think you have uh, around 5 billion scans of GS1 identifier a day. And most big companies out there, even small ones, have GS1 identifiers. Whenever you push a product in the real world, you need to have GS1 identifiers. The problem is they were not really linked to the web, right? They existed in this parallel world, the world of supply chain, the world of business, but they were not really linked back to the world of consumers um, and, and to the web, right? The proof is that probably you and I, before we started to look deeper at GS1, we didn't know anything about these codes. We just see them, but we don't know uh, anything about them. And they, they so, manifest themselves as barcodes and also on RFID, right? Yes, yeah, barcodes, um, barcodes, RFID as well, yeah. That's, uh, that's usually how you, how you see them. And you can see them in different forms of barcodes, 1D barcodes, but also 2D barcodes like data matrix, um, QR codes, um, and different other forms, actually. Yeah. Okay. And then this, so say a bit more about this GTIN thing. So this was, this is a number that you look at it and you can't really understand what it is. It describes uh, categories of products, but does it actually define a, so could I read that GTIN number and know, oh, this is a, this is um, this is um, a certain kind of Coca-Cola. It's a twelve-ounce bottle or, or whatever. What does that number yeah. tell you? Yeah, I mean, as a human, probably not, unless you know all the GTINs by heart. Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, but obviously, a machine would uh, would be able to extract that. So the, these numbers are very well structured. They start with a with a country code, followed by a company prefix. Uh, and then followed by a number that uh, that expresses the product um, the product identification. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, you would be able to know which country it comes from. Uh, you would be able to know which company it comes from, and eventually you would be able to know uh, what's the product. Mm -hmm. But again, usually at what we call the uh, the SKU, so at the at the generic product level, not at the uh, not at the uh, instance level. 
Um, there are some GS1 standards that also address the instance level. Those are uh, the RFID standards, uh, EPC standard, electronic product code. That's then a serialization of, uh, of a product. So you also have a you also have a serial number for the product you actually have in your hands. Okay, and so this digital link standard encompasses both of those realms? It actually identifies a specific product, does it? Yeah, so the, the digital link doesn't need to identify a specific product, but I believe in a number of uh, exciting use cases it will need to. But it also supports uh, identifying a range of products. What the digital link brings to the table is it it, it um, moves these these uh, these GTNs from the world of supply chain to the web, basically transforms these numbers into URLs. Now that seems like a small thing. It's actually not huge if you look at the standard. It, 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 I'm not saying it was easy to write it, but it was one of the fastest uh, uh, fastest standard in terms of um, from the beginning to the, the ratification at GS1. So it's, 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 it's a simple concept, just turn these numbers into URLs. But it is extremely powerful when you think about it, because it means now you can encode them in a QR code. And guess what? Millions of phones out there can read QR codes natively, as you might know, um, iOS phones, for instance, with the camera app, you can directly uh, point it at the QR code, it will decode the URL. So just by turning it into a URL, now all iPhones can interact with it. If we relate it back to the beacon world, beacons can broadcast URLs. Well, they can't broadcast JITINs because no one would know what to do with that. But when they broadcast a URL, you can go to that URL and then you can retrieve content that's related to, uh, to a product. Um, so that makes... Um, this standard much more accessible and it also allows merging the two walls of the supply chain and the world of, of consumer engagement um, into one single tag. And let's go back to what's actually in this URL. It's, it's a hierarchy which describes things. Is all the information in the URL or is it up in some server somewhere? So you can choose what you want to put in the URL. So typically the URL would contain a JITIN um, and it, sometimes it would contain a serial number, and it can also contain more extensions. All these extensions are standardized in the GS1 world. So, for instance, it could uh, it could um, contain a sell-by date, or it could contain a, a size of the product or weight of the product. All, all of the uh, all of the standardized fields that are supported by GS1. So you can make it as complete as you want. The problem is going to be one of size, right? Because the URL grows as you add more and more data. And that might be a problem when you print the QR code in a small surface. It might also be a problem, for instance, when you broadcast the URL from a beacon. This is why also we're working on a, on a second part of the standard, which will be about compression, so that we can compress these URLs. They will still be valid URLs, but they will be compressed in a, uh, using an algorithm that can do offline decompression um, so that you can basically have more efficient ways of, of uh, encoding these URLs. So it will, at the moment, you would probably end up with a URL which is too big to go into a Bluetooth beacon advertising packet, I'm guessing, with today's version of the standard. Potentially, yes. I mean, I don't know by heart how big you can go uh, in terms of advertising packets. Maybe you know. Um, so of the order of 37 bytes. So, so presumably what you can do is uh, 
Uh, today, you could take that and just put it through a URL compressor, and then you'd kind of hopefully get to what you... Uh... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Uh, would uh, need to turn that into something that would be yes. accessible. Yeah, I think with 37 bytes going beyond the JITIN would be, would be hard indeed. Mm -hmm. um, taking an, an off-the-shelf off uh, existing uh, URL compression is... Um, is, is an option, but it's a bit sad because you lose the, the opportunity of decoding what's in there, right? Which is why the standard itself is now evolving um, into also a compression standard. Um, and that's gonna, be, that's gonna be very powerful. Okay, so I have one of these URLs. It's encoded in this uh, 2D barcode, a QR code. Um, I scan it on my phone and I go to, what's the website that I go to when I do this? Who's hosting it? Um, so basically anyone can host it. And there is part of the specification that's called uh, the resolver specification. This, there was a, a tiny part of that specification in the first uh, ratified standard. But in the second version, this is described in more details how you basically serve the content, um, the protocol to serve the content at the back of one, each, uh, of, one of these digital links. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically anyone can, um, can, can uh, install a resolver. It could, be a, it could be a brand, it could be GS1 themselves, one of the member organizations, or it could be a service provider, be pretty much anyone um, running one of these servers. Okay. Uh, um, and your co-chair of this group, what, what are the other, who, who are your fellow uh, chair or what are the organizations that have led this and um, who, who, who's, uh, I mean, you, you don't need to give me an exhausted list, but uh, what sort of companies have been working on this standard? Um, so, the, the, the standard really generated a lot of traction um, and the, uh, the size of the working group doubled or even, uh, even more than this in the second phase. So it really generated a lot of traction. And I think it, everyone in the industry is, is pretty well represented. Um, so from very big retailers to very big brands, 
um, to uh, solution providers, printers, uh, tag manufacturers. So it's a, it's a pretty big group. And, um, and I think all parties are represented. But uh, I, I thought I remembered saying that Walmart were one of, you, you were working with someone from Walmart on the, yes. on the standard. One of the co-chair was, was Walmart indeed. Um, not to pick them out, as, but, but it just kind of gives you a sense of the level of gravity and, uh, and so forth. Um, so um, why, does, uh, uh, why does your company, everything, care about this? What were you doing before the standard existed and how does this change what you do? So basically what we were doing was exactly that, except in a proprietary manner, right? Um, and we've been talking to GS1 for a while about bringing their identifiers to the web. As a matter of fact, when I was a researcher at the Auto ID Labs at MIT and ETH, the Auto ID Labs are, are the labs uh, co-financed by GS1, the research labs. Uh, we were already talking about that uh, back then. Um, it took a while to really become a reality. Uh, but through companies like Everything and others that were putting proprietary encodings on, on, on codes all the time, it became clear for GS1 that this was a missed opportunity. And uh, we contacted them about creating a standard, and then we were like, you know what, we're actually forming a group, do you want to co-chair it? And then everything accelerated, and, and within six months we had the first draft of the standard, uh, which is very, very exciting. Uh, and how are things going in terms of adoption? Uh, who's using it now? Um, adoption is uh, has started now. Obviously, one of these global business standards takes a while for uh, for mass scale adoption. The barcode, the one D barcode, took uh, you know many many years before it became what it's today and before it became so ubiquitous. But it has started the first products that um, that actually uh, feature digital links are hitting the market. Uh, for instance, we're working with a, with a salmon company, Norwegian salmon company called Movi. Uh, beginning of this week, they launched the, the, first, uh, the first salmons um, that are actually uh, featuring a digital link. And this digital link is used for uh, quite an interesting uh, user experience. You can scan it and you know exactly where the salmon c comes from. You, you can exactly follow the, the, the life of the salmon and, uh, and know where, where the good is coming from. Now, that's the consumer experience, but it is also compatible in the supply chain. So this code can also be scanned in the supply chain for basically routing the salmon through the supply chain. Um, so that, that would be one example. We're also working with uh, apparel brands in that space um, at, at everything, uh, apparel brands that will put digital links on their on their apparel items. Um, also in pharma, there are no pilot programs uh, running on the digital link, um, and several retailers that started uh, adopting it as well. Excellent, uh, very good. Well, um, is there anything else we've missed out? Anything else we should cover in terms of in introducing people to what, what you guys have been working on? No, I think uh, I think that's a good uh, a good summary. You know, it's a it's a it's a small change, um, but it actually could spark a revolution in terms of identifying products and in terms of consumers being able to interact with products. And uh, if I'm uh, if I'm a brand or uh, uh, if I'm 
building systems for brands? How do I get involved? How do I kind of go to the next level in terms of learning about this and adopting the standard? So you can join the working group. Um, basically, any GS1 member can join the working group, and that's most brands out there. Mm -hmm. um, even non-GS1 members can join. Mm -hmm. um, you can download the standard, which is available on the GS1 website, um, and and you can get started. It's actually fairly uh, easy to get started uh, in terms of how to encode your, your existing GTNs into a digital link. Then if you want to implement a resolver, you can also follow the specifications or you can work with service providers uh, such as everything to, to basically um, use uh, um, the, the resolve implemented by these companies um, for your products. So it's actually fairly straightforward. It's a, it's a very straightforward process to deploy uh, the digital link. Wonderful. Well, Dominic, thanks very much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, this was really useful. Thanks for inviting me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.